Good morning, everyone, and thank you for tuning in today. If you need help keeping track, today is Wednesday, April the 7th, first Wednesday of the month. And with that, it is also following the first Monday of the month. So we have coffee with the mayor today. And with us is Greensburg Mayor Joshua Marsh. Good morning, Mr. Mayor. How are you today? I am fine. Good morning, everyone out there. I hope you're enjoying uh, this spring morning that we're having and uh, have some good plans planned for something. Yes, absolutely. Um, I'm assuming plans are probably on your way for the street department to start uh, mowing grass soon. I see lots of people around the city had mowed their yards out and about in Greensburg, either maybe maybe Sunday or, or Monday or Tuesday. So It is the season for that. Um, we have begun that process as well, and you know, that'll continue, uh, obviously, through the summer. And we, we do hire some folks for part-time help during the summer to help us with that as we mow a whole lot more acres than I was aware of um, before <laughs> I had the job. And that comes with a pretty big bill, but uh, we, we've got a great team that works on it. Of course, I know everybody takes care of their properties. Sarah Hamer, our building commissioner, does a great job of uh, code enforcement, and she uh, will be out in force this year along with Steve Raymer, who works in her office, uh, to make sure that we're keeping the community as uh, clean and in compliance as we can. Yeah, absolutely. And I did see that, I think, on your Facebook is that you're hiring for summer help, so get those kids to contact the city of Greensburg. Great resume builder. That's right. <laughs> well, with that, on Monday, you had Board of Works and City Council meeting. It was a hectic Monday, and we'll get into what, all the all the chaos here a little later. But the meetings went pretty smoothly, and they started out with, um, I think, a, a really excellent addition to downtown Main Street Greensburg, and that is um, a request from Carriage on the Square. Yeah, so we had a request from Hans, uh, who owns Carriage on the Square, for some outdoor seating to be added. Um, if you're familiar with him, he had some tables before, but uh, we can't allow um, any beer or anything to be consumed outside the premises if it's not in a fenced-in area. So he's requested uh, some fencing uh, to be put up. It is sort of in a temporary manner that it is removable. So during winter, uh, snow and things that can be pulled inside when the patio is not being in use, that way it can uh, be back to the sidewalk. And he's talking about, you know, eight feet from the building and about 30 feet across the front of his building in the alley. So it should make a really nice place uh, to go grab a sandwich and a beer from uh, the carriage on the square. And we're excited for him to, to do that. And he did bring us a proposal of how the fence goes together and, and sort of what it'll look like. Very similar to something like the beach has or the tap has to both have outdoor seating. And I mean, I'm someone that enjoys uh, restaurants that have outdoor seating. So I'm excited for him. I think the Board of Works asked some really good questions about, you know, maintenance and the aesthetics and clear span so that the sidewalk remains um, passable, obviously. But there are some other examples, like I mentioned, around uh, downtown. And this is just another one that'll it'll be good for us as we move forward. Yeah, absolutely. And Hans is one that really cares for the downtown district and um, was really important to him, it seemed, when he addressed that, uh, that was not only aesthetically pleasing, but would also make everyone across the board happy. Yeah, I I, I wish him luck on making everyone happy. <laughs> um, but but uh, it is one of those items that he, he does care. His building looks super nice, and he, and he does care about the aesthetics of the community and just wants it to be tremendously successful. So we wish him luck in that and uh, looking forward to it. Absolutely. Well, another topic during the Board of Works meeting was the um, discussion on the officer-involved shooting from back in November of 2020 here in the Batesville region. Um, and so with that, you guys kind of have to go over protocols to discuss that as well. 
Yeah, so that happened back in November, and I know WRBI's covered it extensively, but we have kind of one more step to take after the Ripley County Prosecutor's Office uh, re released their report last uh, week or two weeks ago. We had to do a review of our policies and procedures. The Board of Works is the Policy and Procedure Board, so it was done by them. Um, it's a civilian board, and we went through the policies uh, line by line and, and determined what had been done regarding the officer-involved shooting and then the items that were conducted after that and made sure that those were followed precisely and in a timely manner. And we did find that the chief and the Greensburg Police Department did do all of that. So we offered a vote of confidence um, to Chief Bridges and the Greensburg Police Department for the record of how they've handled uh, the follow-up uh, to that unfortunately very tragic um, event that took place back in November. Of course, we never want to see, uh, you know, lethal force used, but it is um, good to see that under all of that stress and those split-second decisions that our law enforcement uh, officer that was involved, officers that were involved, um, acted to the T, to our, pol our policies um, through and through. So uh, the Firearms Review Committee did review them, the internal uh, review, the state police, and now the Board of Works have all um, agreed to that in addition to the prosecutor's office. So um, again, it's a very tragic thing. We do not uh, want that to ever happen. And but when you know times call for it, we're glad to see that our training and expertise of the Greensburg Police Department um, helped state police and Batesville police and uh, Ripley County and, and the ton of agencies that were there. We're glad to be community partners and neighbors uh, with all of them in a time of need. Yeah, and I assume the officer is now able to be back on duty. They are, yeah. Excellent. Well, switching topics here, Mark Kloster-Kemper, the street commissioner, came to the Board of Works to request uh, heavy trash week be moved forward just a slight bit. Yeah, so this was an interesting thing that happened last year. Of course, uh, we were going into COVID, and heavy trash was right in front of Memorial Day weekend. And for those of you that know, Memorial Day weekend um, creates a double trash day the following Tuesday. So we had double trash day and double yardways day all on the first day back after heavy trash week. And that was um, overwhelming to all of the, the system and the employees and everything. So we're moving that up May 17th through the 21st will be the city of Greensburg's heavy trash week this year. And um, we're hopeful that people got their cleaning done last year and that this year is less uh, <laughs> than, than what we experienced in the first few weeks of uh, COVID last year, but uh, it will be, May 17th through the 21st, we'll take all of the heavy trash you can set out um, along your home uh, in town. Uh, you don't, do not bring it in from out of town. We won't take tires. Um, we won't take uh, any type of appliance or electronics. Those need to go to either Toxaway Days or electronic shred. Um, anything that can't go in the landfill, paints, uh, chemicals, items like that, uh, need to be disposed of in a different manner. But those couches and chairs that you've got uh, that you want to get rid of, this is a great opportunity for those of you that live inside the city and live in a uh, utility paying home. So we don't do apartments, but uh, duplexes we do do. Excellent. And with that, um, it is just for city residents. So people in the county shouldn't be bringing in their trash and dumping it at their, their friend's house, right? That is correct. This is part, and this was a big discussion when we discussed raising the trash tipping fee earlier or mid last year in the sense that heavy trash is paid for out of that fee. So city dwelling residents, they're not taxpayer dollars uh, spent on this. It's part of the fee that residents 
I mean, utility customers pay. So it is for city residents only. Do not bring your stuff in from out of the county. Don't bring your third cousin's stuff in either. Um, it is for you and your service, and we can try to keep those fees as low as possible by only servicing city residents. And I imagine all this information is available somewhere along the city's website, because I'm sure you get lots of questions regarding Heavy Trash Week. I do believe we will have that information posted up. Uh, of course, we're dealing with our water issue, which we'll address later at the moment. So I think our banner is taken up by that um, currently, but we will definitely get the dates and times uh, put up on the website. We're going to take a short break, and when we return, we'll continue speaking with Greensburg Mayor Josh Marsh. And we're back. If you've just tuned in today, it is Coffee with the Mayor, and we are speaking with Greensburg Mayor Josh Marsh. Well, switching over to the city council meeting, a lot of regular business taking place during the meeting. Um, but with that, there was some exciting news brought from Sarah Hamer, the building commissioner, in regards to rezoning of uh, St. Mary's property. Yeah, so this was something um, that was brought forth uh, by Emily and Evan Manship. Uh, some of you may know Emily as an Osterling uh, from the region, a longtime uh, St. Mary's uh, congregation member. And uh, she and her husband, Evan, who uh, runs a real estate investment development firm in Indianapolis, are interested in a project here in Greensburg and Decatur County. We uh, had a very good conversation with them before they approached the Board of Zoning Appeals and Plan Commission to discuss the former St. Mary's site um, downtown on East Street. And the conversation really surrounds a use of the church and the education building, which is the newer, smaller structure on the property there for an event center of some type. They would like to do weddings and receptions and the number of 200, 250 people is what they mentioned at the meeting on Monday. So it's been a really, really interesting conversation with them and their aspirations and dreams to see that um, through. And obviously it has a strong connection to Emily's family and so she's really invested in us. Yeah, super exciting and a great opportunity uh, for the Greensburg area, the downtown district. Um, very few buildings left in the downtown district now that um, would be available for uh, purchase or rental to put a business in. Yeah, and, and actually that's a good timing thing as well. Uh, Tanya Downing, executive director of Main Street, was at the uh, city council meeting to sort of give the annual update. And she, I don't have all the numbers she rattled off, but she was talking about how the downtown businesses have been uh, doing well and growing and there's some spaces left. And the, uh, the church is one of those that would be a great facility to be used. It's very large in scale and scope, but it also comes, you know, with a heavy price tag just to, you know, change the light bulbs or paint the soffits, if you will. So it's one of those items that I, I wish the manships well. I believe, you know, uh, Evan's background in real estate and Emily's commitment to uh, bettering her hometown will serve them well. And it's something that we can all look forward to. It, it will be interesting to see, you know, how they deal with some of the challenges that the site presents. It's one of those that is very oddly shaped. Uh, the church has sold off uh, the properties that neighbor it that they used to own across the streets. I believe they're trying to sell the rectory separately, which is sort of that the big house um, between the church and the railroad tracks. So it's a very, very oddly shaped property. And part of the conversation that uh, the city continues to have with them is one, uh, to be incredibly supportive of the project, but also to you know be cognizant and aware of the neighbors. We want to be sure that we're representing the views of not just 
economic development, but community um, members and the private property rights that they have, and where I'm getting at with this is parking. Um, it's been a hot topic with them about what do you do with parking for a 200 person event center? What's the right number of spots needed? We know what our ordinance says. Um, we know how to compute that. And if you include the school square footage, that's an issue. If you don't, that's a better issue. So we've been discussing with them on how to um, bring that up. Councilman Jamie Kane had some questions that were sort of inquisitive, not uh, demeaning obviously to the, the progress, but just what's the plan for this? And of course that still has to go through um, the BZA to get a, an appeal or an exception or variance for the parking if they're gonna operate that kind of business out of there. Again, I'll stress we're willing to work with them. We are working with them but we also have to be sure that we're advocating and protecting um, everyone in the community so that we don't make an issue now that haunts us later or set a precedent that we can't uphold. Yeah, absolutely. And with that, I, and parking's, I think, probably an ongoing issue forever and ever with businesses in the downtown area. Um, do you, does the city feel like there will be spots available? Because you would think if events will probably mostly be held Friday, Saturday, Sunday, for the most part. Um, is that kind of space available in that area during that time? Well, so there's a couple issues with that. One, uh, we have to consider the parcel that is being used, which we've identified. Um, we have to sort of we have to comply with our ordinance or give a variance to that. The ordinance requires one parking spot per 150 square feet of space, so that pushes their number larger than what they can fit on the site. So they have to get a variance for that in order to use the facility at that capacity. That takes into some considerations or assumptions based on occupancy, number of occupants per car, et cetera. What the ordinance does not allow us to do is consider publicly available on-street parking is part of that calculation. So if you wanna build a building, you have to provide parking for it, even if you're on a street that provides parallel or angled street parking that is public parking. Um, East Street there in front of the church does have a very limited number of public parking spots, but there are three or four private residences directly across from the, the church. So we can't, or the former St. Mary's Church, so we can't exactly just say, yeah, you can use those spots all the time because people that live in those houses may use them. I live on a street with uh, on-street parking and my neighbors rotate through the spots, right? Nobody parks there all the time. So it's one of those items, you're supposed to move cars every 72 hours in the city, but we can't guarantee the church or, or the manships or the, the event venue that that will be available. And it's not fair to the residents to guarantee them those parking spots on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Maybe they wanna have something at their house. And we can't consider or guarantee any privately owned parking that would be just an open lot. We can't say, yeah, you can use somebody else's property. They would have to have some type of agreement with that. So that's sort of where we are with it. Um, and, and downtown is this issue all the time. The benefit and the holdback is we're not building any new buildings downtown, so we wouldn't have to necessarily meet that. But if you were going to go build, you know, a 10,000 square foot building downtown, you'd have to provide parking for that. Well, now's the time. We're going to switch topics to the water issue. So Monday morning, water main breaks. Tell us about the situation. Sure. So Monday morning uh, starts as any good Monday morning. We're, we're catching up from the weekend and then um, we have all kinds of issues that arise. At uh, mid-morning, our water plant, which is 
brand new, lost all of its pressure in its outgoing lines. Um, the, there was an issue with the construction crew that had hit one of the lines and caused the main feed line to the system to rupture and break. So that started the clock on water loss. We contacted a couple contractors right away. Of course, they're not necessarily local. They had to come from a few hours away um, in order to get us the appropriate equipment and tools to get it fixed. And we were losing very, very large amounts of water very quickly, which causes a depressurization of the system, which sparks a boil advisory um, by rule or law, um, whichever it is, from IDEM. So we issued a boil water advisory. This is the first one that anyone on our water team has done. And we have uh, Rick Denny, our water superintendent, has been here 25 plus years and has done a phenomenal job for us. And this is the first one he's ever had to do. And Donna Lecker is our utilities manager. 27 years on the job. And I asked her, I said, Donna, do you have any language from a boil water advisory? She said, I've been here 27 years and I've never had to do one. <laughs> so uh, it was uncharted territory for all of us at that point. And we were losing thousands and thousands of gallons of water per minute onto the street. And uh, it was at the intersection of Fourth and Ireland, which is right in front of our water plant uh, facility. So there actually isn't a valve between the water plant and that, uh, that valve and we were losing water back from the system. So that means water that was already in water tanks was flowing out of the pipe of that hole. That caused um, loss of water to some facilities sooner than others, and the schools closed at about 1 p.m. We asked industry to cease operations around 2 because we had lost such a large volume of water. We weren't going to be able to sustain them. We did decide to almost immediately upon this, once we discovered the severity of the problem, we started pumping as much water as we can physically move out of the reservoir into the plant. Our new water plant um, is twice the size of our old one and we can do six and a half million gallons of water a day. And we turned it on full blast in the intention of pushing enough water out of our smaller service line um, to keep what water we could in the towers and in the pumps uh, to provide residential service only. I know that that didn't necessarily hold true for everyone, but we were um, moving 9,000 gallons of water a minute, and we were dumping about 5,000 gallons of water a minute into the street simply to keep the system as pressurized as we did. Um, we were trying to keep hospitals and, and nursing homes and healthcare facilities as operational as possible. We did communicate with all of the above and EMA, emergency management, uh, to start the process down that road. And then we received a timeline of 8 p.m. to get that completed. So with all of that, um, we did come online last night about 6.30, 7 o'clock and started, you know, refilling the system, repressurizing it. We are still under the boil water advisory. It is our anticipation that that will be Friday before that is list lifted. We have to commit uh, to a multiple testing through IDEM and get the results back from that. So we're looking um, probably towards Friday, so uh, 48 hours or so from now before that uh, becomes a, a, a deadline or a discussion point. And with that, there there are regulations and things that you should take caution on um, during a boil water advisory that people in the Greensburg area just aren't used to. Yeah, and that's one of those things that, like I said, you know, 20 seven years, um, you know, factories and, and individuals here have been able to see or have water service directly to them. And it's one of those things, it's like an electric going out, right? It's a utility 
we all have been there when the power goes out and you go around and you turn the light switches on and you forget and you don't realize how much you use it and appreciate it until it's not as conveniently available. And that's when we're at right now, right? We're, we're a utility. We have done 20 years, 25 plus years of service without something like this. And uh, we had eight or nine, we had eight hours on Monday. Um, I think that's a very good ratio. I know some individuals are upset that it, you know, it caused a disruption in service. I'm upset about it. I don't want it to happen, but I think our teams, we had our water team, um, Wilhelm, which is our construction firm for the water plant, and HNTB, which is one of the top engineering firms for water and wastewater services in the country, all on site uh, to best serve the residents of what we've had and get it repaired and done as quickly as possible. And now we're, we're trying to catch up. You know, we've published the CDC's guidance on boil water, um, it is safe to shower in. We just, you know, encourage you not to drink it um, or cook with it. And if you have a dishwasher that has a sanitized option, that is fine to use. Um, once we get out of the boil water advisory, we will ask everyone to turn their faucets on for five minutes and sort of let that all that uh, drain out and be good. We do, most people don't realize this, but we do generate um, more water than the system will hold daily. So, for the lack of better terms, most of the system does turn over at least once a day. So um, we, we will be out of this uh, sooner rather than later is the goal. Yeah, and I think another surprising thing to maybe some people was that um, not only does this affect city of Greensburg residents, uh, but Decatur County rural water residents as well. Yeah, and that's one of those items that our systems are very intertwined. It's, again, like a utility because we are a utility, we have districts. And so we can service certain areas and then rural waters built a network around the city into different parts um, that extend all the way down to actually uh, South Decatur High School. But they are also available to access uh, Westport water, which treats their own. So they were able to switch over to that. Um, but North Decatur is serviced by us. And then there are certain areas and neighborhoods that are serviced um, by rural water that are actually in the city limits. But rural water does not have their own treatment facilities. So they buy water from us to resell to customers. Yeah, so inconvenient, um, not fun, but it's only temporary, um, and everyone did their best work possible to get things fixed as quickly as possible. We did, and I know WRBI's got a photo online, and I'm sure we'll post some photos over the next couple of days of the intersection that was in front of the water plant. But if you're dumping 5,000 gallons of water a minute into the street, um, it turns into quite a lake really quickly. And, you know, that's not something we want to do. Obviously, we pay to treat all of that water, um, but it, it, it's just part of it. And it's unfortunate, but we'll get through it. And I am uh, very, very proud of the team and the work that they did and everyone that came together, including our internal uh, utilities phone call staff. I mean, they just were being bombarded with phone calls. They did a great job delivering customer service, even though maybe it wasn't the answer you wanted to hear. Um, they, they kept their cool and, and kept everybody, you know, on track and just provided the information we had at the time. And I, I just commend everybody who was a part of the team yesterday. We had people um, that don't do phones or don't answer phones that were on phones to make sure that we were answering as many calls as we could. Absolutely. So great news. And we hope to hear the resolve of this by the end of the week. So we'll wrap up. I always like to talk about something fun. And this weekend is a fire education weekend. So um, select members of the community are going to get schooled, right? Yeah. So actually, this is something that Chief Sturmers brought up uh, a while back and wanted to do. He wanted to show, and I think this is a fantastic idea. He wanted to show the people who signed the checks 
uh, the Board of Works and the city council members, what it's like uh, to be a fireman, what they go through, what they're training on, how they use the apparatus and the equipment to give them a hands-on learning experience because they're paying for all of this um, you know, through the budget. And, and when you come and ask for money for something, sometimes it's hard to relay that. So I, I think this is great. It's gonna be, I, I hope a fun, fun day on Saturday. It starts at 7.30 in the morning. I've asked him when my uh, practice day is. Like he's yet to set that up because I think he wants to just see how good we are at winning it. Um, but we're excited about it. And I'm sure we'll have all kinds of information later on, but uh, it'll, be, it'll be a great day. It does relate um, in some sense to our community outreach programs. We've got scheduled for the summer. We're working on getting dates so that you can bring your kids and uh, family members to check out the apparatus, maybe have a burger or a hot dog. And uh, we were going to do all of that last year, uh, but COVID shut that down. But our intention is to be in communities across the community in order uh, to, to have that outreach and touch uh, with first responders.